Good morning. Hey, uh, if you're here for the first time, I want to just uh, echo what Chris said. We're so glad that you're here. We're in a series called Turning Points. It's the whole deal with the arrows and, and the sense that God has special times in our lives that he calls us to change. Sometimes we can look back on those turning points. Sometimes we're right in the middle of them. Uh, the story of the Israelites, as Joshua led them, is a, it's a story of turning points. The first week we talked about the fact that Israel had come out of Egypt where they'd been slaves for 400 years. They, they come out of Egypt. Uh, Moses is leading them and Moses dies. And Joshua assumes the mantle of leadership from Moses. And God says to Joshua over and over again, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. I will never leave you or forsake you. Joshua uh, assumes that leadership and ultimately sends two spies out into the promised land because God has said, you're going to enter the promised land. Joshua sends these spies and says, just find out what everybody's thinking. The spies cross the river. They go um, into the, the region. They go into the town of Jericho and they meet up with this prostitute named Rahab. And um, Rahab hides these guys in her house as the king sends men because he hears about these spies that have come into their land. And um, Rahab protects them and ultimately says, hey, here's the deal. Since I protected you, when you guys come in to destroy Jericho, you protect me and my parents and my family. And, and the spies say, uh, you know what? That's a good deal. Our life for yours. Um, you, you took care of us. We'll take care of you. Um, what's, the, what's the picture? What are you hearing from the city? And Rahab says this. The God that you serve is the God of heaven and earth. And everybody here is deathly afraid of you guys. We've heard the story about the whole nation, two million people strong, crossing the Red Sea 40 years ago. We've heard the story about how you came in and and defeated the kings, Og and Sihon. Um, Everybody's scared. And the spy said, you know what? That's what we came for. Rahab protects them, protects them from the king's guys. The spies leave. They go back to Joshua. And as we come move into Joshua chapter three, what happens is the spies come back and give a great report to, to Joshua. They say the, the people are melting with fear because of us. And Joshua says to the nation, he says, OK, here's the deal. We're going to leave where we are. Um, we're going to march. It's going to take us three days. We're going to get to the Jordan River. And there, once, once we're there, God is going to lead us across the river. What I want you to do is take a look for the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is going to lead the way in front of us. Um, the, we all know the Ark of the Covenant, right? How do you know the Ark of the Covenant? Indiana Jones. All right, of course. Absolutely. There's a guy. That's the right answer. There it is, right? It's interesting that in Indiana Jones... Um, they, they actually tried to, to create a replica of the Ark of the Covenant that, was, that would be defined by what Scripture said in the Old Testament. The Ark had been built while the nation of Israel traveled, while they wandered. And in the Ark of the Covenant was the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments written on them, etched in stone. In the Ark of the Covenant, there was a jar of manna of the food that God had used to provide for the nation of Israel as they wandered, that 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 jar of manna wouldn't decay and it would remind the nation of Israel of the way that God had provided for them during those 40 years. And the Ark of the Covenant was Aaron's staff that, that God had used to lead the nation of Israel. And the Ark of the Covenant was 
the, the copy of the Torah, the first book of the Torah that Moses had written, describing the nation of Israel's history of God's interaction with Abraham. The book of Genesis is there in the Ark of the Covenant. It was a holy, it was a holy piece. God said, nobody can touch it. Nobody can touch it. If you touch it, you'll die. And, um, but what happens is Joshua says to the, to the nation of Israel, when the Ark of the Covenant, follow the Ark of the Covenant, and I think he said, but you're supposed to follow it from about a half a mile away. 2,000 cubits, cubits from the bottom of your elbow to the top of, the, top of your fingertip. 2,000 cubits is, is roughly a half a mile. Now, why did Joshua say that to the nation of Israel? I think there were probably two reasons. One, because the ark was holy and you want to make sure that nobody touched it. The other was, have you ever tried to lead a group of people anywhere that gets very massive. Um, for me, the picture that's in my mind when I first started to lead mission trips for high school kids to take 20 kids through an airport on an international flight. It's a nightmare because you've got kids that have never flown before and they're in an international terminal with all kinds of stuff going on, different languages. And like you've got everybody walking and looking and all of a sudden your group of 20 that was so close together has now become like five groups of four that are just all over the place. That's why you wear fluorescent colored T-shirts in airports to make sure that everybody stays together and you know where everybody is. Well, they didn't have... Two million fluorescent colored T-shirts. So they said, Joshua said, follow the Ark of the Covenant. And here's what's going to happen. When the Ark, when the priests who are carrying the Ark on the staffs, when the priest's feet touch the water, I'm going to hold back the water. The water's going to stop and you're going to walk through on dry land. Now, when you hear that, I think that it takes you probably to a place where you either just automatically say, oh, we're in church. We believe, yeah, God does that. Uh, end, of, end of thought. Don't think about it. Or you think, well, wait a second. The Jordan River goes from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is a quarter of a mile below sea level. Water flows down. How does the water stop? There's no way that that could happen in the world that I understand in my mind. It, that just doesn't happen. Maybe there was a natural event that made it possible. And we, and, we, and we try and figure out a way to naturally explain what Scripture describes as a miracle, right? There's some, some things to sort through because in 1927, interestingly enough, right at about the place where the nation of Israel crossed over the Jordan River, where they came through that spot, in 1927 there was an earthquake, And the earthquake caused a landslide. Cliffs fell down and and actually dammed up the waters, just almost like uh, the book of Joshua describes right here. And the water stopped flowing. It stopped flowing for 21 hours. 21 hours. That happened in 1927. That's not that long ago. Is that what God did? Here's the question I think that's so important for us as we kind of process through this. Was it a miracle Or was it not a miracle? Scripture describes it as a miracle. How do we know that? If it was a natural occurrence, how did Joshua name the time that it was going to happen? Because he said, as soon as the priest's feet touch the water, the water's going to stop. How would that be if that was natural? The second thing is that they recognized 
that, that, that the crossing the Jordan was going to be similar to crossing the Red Sea. Joshua said that it's going to be just like you've heard about when you were kids, the stuff that happened 40 years ago. Was that also a natural uh, disaster? A natural thing where the nation of Israel walked through the Red Sea with the water parted on both sides? And if so, how is it that they found archaeologically Egyptian chariots and armor in the bottom of the sea? How'd they get there? If it's a natural event, why, if the crossing the Red Sea was a natural event, why was it that the nations in the promised land were so scared of the Israelites? If it just happened naturally, that wouldn't make sense. And if it was a natural event, how was it that the water began to flow again as soon as the priest left the, the riverbed, just as Joshua had said? I, I would submit to you that you can, you can try and rationalize and think a way that it could all kind of happen naturally. That's not what Scripture describes. Scripture describes a God who is king of the universe that came in and interacted supernaturally in the world where we live and provided a way to provide protection and provision for the nation of Israel as they crossed the Jordan and headed into the promised land. It, it was an incredibly cool thing. Uh, Let, let me uh, go ahead and go to, to Joshua chapter 3, and let's, let's just uh, read, and, read the words that are there. Verse 1, Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from, from Shittim, where they were. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged three days before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Don't come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you haven't passed this way before. Can you imagine wandering for 40 years over the same stretch of ground and hearing the words, you've never passed this way before? Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. There's a truth there that I just want to grab hold of for a second. Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, make yourselves holy, because God's going to work in an incredible way tomorrow. I think sometimes we miss the hand of God in our lives. We miss God's interaction because we don't consecrate ourselves. We live like everybody around us, no different. And God calls us to experience the holiness that we have in Jesus to live that out on a daily basis. And when we do, we see God work in incredible ways. Joshua says, consecrate yourselves and see what God does tomorrow. Verse 6, the next day, Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant, went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses... So I will be with you. Pause again for a second. We live in a world, don't we, that says, how do you get ahead? How do you grow in your occupation? How do you climb the corporate ladder? There's all kind of books written about how to do that, right? How you interact with people, how you suck up to the right people and, and, and pay attention to the right kind of things. You learn how to do things so that you can interact with the, with the people who are higher up. You learn how to golf. You learn how to dress. You learn how to do all that stuff. You self-promote so that you can get the raise to the next job, right? What did God say to Joshua? 
God said, I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to take you to that place where people um, respect and honor you, where people put you in the same place that they held Moses. I'm going to be the one who exalts you. You don't have to do it yourself. You don't have to prove yourself. I think that that's probably good advice for us. We try so hard to self-promote, to do all the right things so that we can get ahead. Let God take care of that. Be faithful to him. Consecrate yourselves and then see what places God puts you in. Uh, Verse eight, as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord, your God. And Joshua said, this is how you shall know that the living God is among you. And that he will without fail drive out from before you. Joshua, God says to Joshua, this is or Joshua says to the people. This is how you know that I'm with you and I'm going to drive out all these people because the water's going to stop. He says, I'm going to drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, Jebusites, Mosquito Bites. Um, that doesn't really say that, but it sounds good. Um, Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 10 men or 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. When the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off from flowing and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Joshua goes on to say that those 12 men, we'll see it in in a second at the beginning of of chapter 4, that those 12 men, one from each tribe, are to go down into the water as the Ark of the Covenant goes into the Jordan and the water stops and the nation comes by. Those, Those men from the tribes are to come and take boulders on their shoulders, rocks that weigh 40 pounds, 60 pounds, 80 pounds, 100 pounds, 125 pounds, carry them out ultimately to create a memorial to the protection and the provision of God. Um, Go down to to, uh, chapter 4. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, I skipped over the part that it happened just like Joshua said. Priests step in the water, the water stops. Ark of the Covenant goes out into the middle of the Jordan and rests there and people walk through to the other side. When all of the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people uh, from each tribe of man, command them saying, take 12 stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord, your God into the middle of the Jordan. Take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off. Before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Skip down to verse 19. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. 
And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord God, the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. The theme of today's message is that we need to create memorials that remind us of the power and provision of God. Joshua said to the people, when when we come through, when you see that, when you see those stones, they're going to remind you that God is powerful, that he's mighty, and that you need to fear him. I think for all of us, that's a crazy thought because culturally for us, we want want to experience God in this personal kind of way where in the New Testament it talks about that we can call him daddy. Is it possible to call God daddy, to have that daddy relationship and to fear him both? I think the answer to that is yes. Think about when you were a kid. Think about when you were two or three years old. And you were sure that your father was like the Lord of the universe, right? He could do anything. He could beat anybody up. He could tackle any foe. He could do all that. And yet you could climb on his lap and call him daddy, right? That's the picture of the relationship that we have with God. God is a mighty, powerful God that can do anything. And yet he chooses us as his children, as his sons and daughters, that we have the ability to talk to him. And because of Jesus, to experience that incredible relationship. If that's the case, if God parted the water, stopped the water for the Jordan, and Israel walked through on dry land, Why did they need stones to remind them of such an incredible act? I think it's because it's so it was so easy for them to fall into the mundane, the routine, and just simply forget what God had done. The Israelites were pathetic, weren't they? We would never forget how God has worked in our lives, right? We would never forget God's protection and provision. Would we? I don't know if you've noticed this over here, but this is, this is just a sense of Gilgal for me. This is, this is the story of how God has worked in my life in some incredible supernatural ways. The first is a candle. Um, when I was 14, uh, we were at Crystal Lake, and our neighbors had about a 20-foot metal slide that was between our property and their property. It was the coolest thing in the world when you were a kid. You know, you'd take the water out of the lake, go up, uh, run it down the, the, the slide. It was also incredibly cool place to light firecrackers off of. And so on the 4th of July, when I was 14 or 15, I had a candle similar to this one on top of the slide and about 200 firecrackers. I'd light a firecracker, throw it off. If I timed it just right, the firecracker would pop just as it hit the water, make a cool... It was, a real, it was the best thing a 14 or 15-year-old kid could be involved in at all. But something happened, and that candle on top of the slide fell over 
into the firecrackers. Um, and literally hundreds of firecrackers went off in my face. Um, the water at the bottom of the slide was only about two feet deep. And, um, and so I couldn't jump in the water. I went down the slide. And when I got down to the bottom of the slide and had a conversation with my father um, over the smartness of that process, the thing that we discovered was with all of those firecrackers going off, I didn't have a burn or a singe mark on my clothes. I had been protected completely from my stupidity. God, I mean, we talked about that. As, that's the first time in my life I really remember the protection. You know, when God talks about uh, guardian angels taking care of us, that candle reminds me of that. When Deb and I were in our early 20s, we were driving from um, Columbus to Dayton in a snowstorm, a, a storm that, that eventually in a day uh, produced about 11 inches of snow. In the middle of that drive, about halfway between Columbus and Dayton, um, we lost control of our vehicle and it slid into the side of a fully loaded semi, 27, 35,000 pounds. I don't know what it was. We hit the semi just, uh, we bounced off of his tire. If we would have been about a foot farther in front, the semi would have run over the top of us. God supernaturally protected us, and we actually drove away from that accident. God's provision was incredible. There have been um, two times in my life where I've almost drowned. The first was when my kids were little. We were at a state park in Georgia, and we had a beach ball just like this. The kids were playing with. The ball went out into the lake. I swam out after it, and if you've ever done this, it was like each stroke I took, the, the ball just kept going a little bit farther and farther. So I'd swim harder and faster to get that 99-cent beach ball. Um, and before I realized it, I was exhausted, and I was about, I don't know, 40 or 50 yards offshore in water that was way deep and no one around. Um, I knew I was in serious, serious trouble. I ended up making it back in, um, scared to death, because I was sure I was going to die. When I got to the shore, I laid down on the sand. Deb wasn't even aware that anything had gone on, just that I had gone to get the beach ball. And I, and I literally laid there for 15 or 20 minutes, didn't say a word, because I was so exhausted. Beach balls remind me of God's protection and provision. Uh, a few years ago, uh, we were up at Crystal at uh, Crystal Lake again, and um, a group of people swam out to the island on Crystal Lake. It's about an, a mile from our cottage. Deb and I were in a paddle boat there to just kind of provide support. We had the paddle boat loaded with life jackets. A storm came up, and um, it became imperative real quickly to get everybody back to the cottage because it was a bad storm, big waves lightning, all kinds of stuff. Dad came out in the boat, loaded kids up, took them back. Deb and I are still there in the paddle boat. Um, Dad came back out again. At that point, there's lightning, all kinds of stuff going on around. Deb got into the boat. Son Joe got into the boat. Um, and, and I jumped off the paddle boat to swim to the, to the speedboat in these waves that were, that were significant. 
And I jumped off the paddle boat without a life jacket. You know, what was I thinking? It was a scary time. And my son pulled me into the boat in the, in the middle of that. Life jackets remind me of God's provision. This is a bottle of Aramis cologne, which seems like a funny thing to have as a memorial. But when, uh, after Deb and I got married, Deb had a, had a thing called multiple chemical sensitivities. Her body couldn't process chemicals. So, and it got worse um, as, as she got older. Um, so, you know, when you go into the grocery store and you walk by the laundry stuff and it gives you a headache, that kind of stuff, um, Deb's body couldn't process those toxins. And it got so bad that, that she couldn't really go out very much. Um, when they would spray the building at church for bugs, she couldn't come to the church for weeks. If uh, people had hairspray on or were wearing cologne or perfume or washed their hair in um, scented uh, shampoo, she couldn't interact. She'd she'd get really desperately sick. Um, You wouldn't know her because at the last church that we were, there were were times that she could literally go uh, several months and not come to church. About three years ago, we went to the elders of the church and, and, um, and just asked for them to pray for her and anoint her with oil. And God healed her. God healed her not little by little, but instantaneously. Um, for me, the, the bottle of the cologne is not a good thing because I haven't worn cologne for 35 years. And you guys all say, we know, Rick, we know. Um, <laughs> The, the, the memorial for me really is Sam's Club. When I go in Sam's, Sam's Club, I can't go in Sam's, Sam's Club without thinking about God's um, healing of Deb. Because two nights later, we went to Sam's Club. Deb's on the phone. She wasn't thinking about it. She couldn't go in. Sam, Sam's Club has all kinds of smells, t- tires and all kinds of stuff. She couldn't go in. She's talking on the phone to her daughter. She comes in. We're walking through Sam's Club. She's just happy as a lark. We leave Sam's Club and we go to Red Lobster. And, and eat, and she eats stuff that would have made her sick. And in the middle of the meal, we said, she's been healed. It's an incredible thing. You know, it's so easy to recognize the hand of God sometimes. But what's funny is in March of, of 14, I was in a place that in spite of all the stuff that God has done in my life, that I had, um, I, I wasn't sure where God was. Um, in in uh, 13, in the middle of 13, I, we had a clear sense that God had something else for us, that we need to leave the church where we were. And so we started that process, finished at the church at the end of, of 2013. And, and you know how it is when you're following God. You, you have this excitement. Everything's so great when you first follow him, right? You make that step and take that step, and it was so good. And, and, and weeks began to move forward, and, and we didn't know where God was taking us. And the excitement turned to kind of questions and anxiety, and then into this sense of emptiness, like, God, where are you? Um, I, I remember it really clearly. It's so easy for us to forget the way that God has provided for us. You know, in the midst of that downtime, that time of desperation, 
um, I talked to Stu from Agora that ultimately ended up um, being the contact that, that brought us here to North Point. I had, um, right after that time, three interviews with churches um, around the country. So it's so easy for us to forget, isn't it, when we're in the middle of the despair. Um, Have you been there? Have you experienced that, the power of God, and then turned around and just forgotten that? Why, why did the Israelites need a memorial? It wasn't because they were stupid. It's because we forget so easily. Why is Washington, D.C. so full of memorials? Lincoln, Jefferson, Washington, World War II, Vietnam. Why is, why is D.C., why is the capital full? Because it's so easy for us to forget. Why is it that Jesus, when he was celebrating the Passover with his disciples, said, do this to remember me? Those guys he was with, they had front row seats to the miracles that he did. They had front row seats to his arrest and to his crucifixion and to his resurrection. But Jesus knew that they needed to be reminded. And so do we. Reminded of the fact that God loves us so incredibly that he would allow his son to take our punishment, our penalty, Reminded of the fact that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives, even when we can't see it, even when we're in the dark times. Reminded of the fact that our life is better in every way when we live according to his design instead of ours. The challenge today is to remember. Remember how God has worked in your life in the past. Remember your turning points and mark them down. I want, to, I want to just give you a challenge out of today's message. And that's to create a memorial for you, either at home or at work. Something that will remind you of the power and the provision and the protection of God. Create something that will make your children or grandchildren or workers, your coworkers, ask, what do those stones mean? What is that piece of fabric from? Why is there a bottle of perfume right there? What's that picture of? And you'll be able to say, that's where God showed up in my life in a way that was undeniable. It was remarkable. Let me tell you about it. Part of why we've chosen to make such a big deal out of the 175th anniversary of North Point It's not just the church has been around for 175 years. It's that in those 175 years, there are story after story after story of God's faithfulness in this place. The way that God has worked and turned people's lives around. This past week, I got a phone call from a lady um, named Nancy Loker Liner. She lives in Bay City. Um, Her son, her 45-year-old son, had died and they had a grave uh, site here in DeWitt, and they wanted to to um, to enter his his uh, remains at the at the cemetery, and wanted to know if I'd be a part of that service. It was a cool thing. Nancy grew up here at North Point, and um, following the funeral on Saturday, she gave me this. I don't know 
if you know what this is, if you've, if you've been around church for a long time, you might recognize this. This is a series of pins that they gave in the 50s and 60s and 70s for perfect attendance in Sunday school. 14 years of perfect attendance. Nancy gave it to me not to say, oh, Nancy's so holy and righteous. She didn't ever miss a Sunday for 14 years. She gave it to me to share with you all as a testimony that North Point is a place that for generations has cared about teaching kids to know and love Jesus. That's an incredibly cool thing. We, we have a special guest that I want to invite up right now. Tom Leonard is, uh, is from the Michigan House of Representatives. Come on up, Tom. Um, he is the, boy, I'm going to mess up the title, Speaker Pro Tempore. Yeah. He's a big deal. Um, I'll just let you talk for a second. Well, Pastor, and uh, to your congregation, I want to thank you so much for having me. I, I can't tell you what an honor and blessing it is to serve as your state representative, something I thank the Lord for every day. And I tell you, it's days like this uh, that make it even more special. And uh, 175 years, that is amazing for a church to stay together, for anybody or anything to stay together yeah. that long, but particularly with a church. And I've got a small Memorial, maybe not quite as cool as the things that you saw up there in the picture from uh, D.C., but a small memorial to give to you today. But before I do, this morning I was having a small devotional myself, and I looked up your guys's. I don't know if it was, if you call it about us or mission statement mm-hmm. or what have yeah. you, but uh, one of the things I noticed, it says, what we are about to help all people move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus Christ. And that so goes with my favorite scripture in the word, my memorial. It was uh, my grandmother's favorite scripture who led me to Christ, but Luke 9.23 where it says, this is Jesus speaking, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And to me, that is what you guys have put into words in that mission statement. I want to thank you for that. So with that, I do have a small, what again, as as I call it, a small memorial for you guys to do whatever you want to do with, put it up here in the church or what have you. But it's a small tribute to to commemorate your 175th anniversary, uh, signed by myself, our state senator, Rick Jones, and the governor of the great state of Michigan, Rick Snyder. So, Pastor, all of you, congratulations and thank you for having me. You know, it's funny, um, a plaque like this, uh, it's a big deal in one sense, not a big deal in another sense. I was so grateful to um, Representative Leonard for coming. I wanted us to do this because it's God's story. It's not North Point's story. The, the fact that the state would recognize us is recognizing the power of God to transform a community. That's what it's about. 
Um, that's, that's why this whole deal of creating a memorial is so important. It's so easy for us to forget, right? It's so easy for us to get sidetracked and to forget the way that God has worked in the past. To forget that God is a powerful God that can change any circumstances. So easy to forget, and we need to remember. I know for, uh, you know for any time that we gather together as a body, there are lots of people here this morning that are hurting, and it's great to say, oh, yeah, God's good, but man, I'm, I'm just struggling right now. Know that the God who has worked in the past is faithful, and that he will see you through this time, and that he has stuff on the other end that we can't imagine. Crossing the Jordan was a new place for the nation of Israel. They had never been to the other side. They had to follow the ark through the river to get there. God will see you through. Um, God wants to turn death into life. He wants to turn despair into hope. He wants to turn um, just lifeless life into life that's full. Create that memorial. Tell your story. Let's pray.